Well, there's a moment at the end of the original Star Wars, A New Hope, where, <laughs> where Obi-Wan Kenobi is facing off with his old apprentice, Darth Vader. And it doesn't take but a few minutes in this with Luke, his, his new apprentice, watching and, and looking on. It doesn't take but a few minutes of this little geriatric uh, lightsaber battle for Darth to notice that Obi-Wan's lost a step. And he lets him know that the master has now been surpassed by the student. And that sets up one of my favorite lines in the entire trilogy, where Obi-Wan looks at him and says, with Luke watching on, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you ever imagined. Strike me down and I will become more powerful than you ever imagined. Now, what does this mean? Well, I looked at a Star Wars message board to see what different people were saying about this, and one Padawan posed the question and gave their own answer saying, it meant nothing. It was absolutely senseless. It was pointless. It was a pointless death because if he had actually become more powerful than Darth Vader could have ever imagined, then he would have stopped him. He would have kept him from hurting anyone else. He would have, he would have overpowered him in, in that moment, but that's not what happened. And that's not what happened, of course, because that's not what he meant. No, Obi-Wan was speaking of a different kind of power. Not the kind that coerces or captures or kills, but a power that comes through a wise, loving presence. A presence that seems to become more pervasive in the Star Wars universe not long after Obi-Wan dies. Because when he dies, he becomes one with the Force. And the Force, as you know, is, or may know, is the closest thing to a living, pervasive spirit in the Star Wars universe. And as he becomes one with the Force, and as Luke continues to grow in the Force, their connection grows as well, so that Obi-Wan can be with him no matter what he's doing, teaching him, advocating for him, guiding him, consoling him, no matter what he's going through or when he's going through it. Obi-Wan had taught Luke so much and had taken him so far in his life. But the story seems to suggest that for Luke to become the hope that the world needed him to be, Obi-Wan needed to physically leave him and then return to him spiritually in a way that could help him more than he could have ever imagined before. Strike me down and I will become more powerful than you ever imagined. It's not a perfect illustration. It's not a perfect metaphor for what Jesus is talking about here, but I think it is also somewhat true, not only in the Star Wars universe, but in what we see here in John 14. In John 14, Jesus is giving his disciples a farewell address. He's saying goodbye to them, preparing them for the fact that he's going to be struck down soon in a way that's frightening for them. It's going to be incredibly frightening. And then he's going to leave them. And then he's going to return to them and ultimately make him and them more powerful in the world than they could have ever imagined. And of course, he knew that these young Padawans had certain ideas about power that would probably lead them to believe exactly what that guy on the Star Wars thread believed. That his death was pointless. That it was senseless. 
After all, even after Jesus' death and resurrection, poverty and oppression and evil and despair were still running rampant in the world. And Jesus knew they'd wrestle with this. Jesus knew we'd wrestle with this. And because he knew, he offered them and us words about what it means for Jesus to be with us in a way that is more powerful and purposeful in this world than most of us could ever imagine. Starting in verse 12, you might look back at John 14. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Then in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live in you. You will also live. And on that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. It's a passage that's packed with meaning as we consider the power and presence and character and impact that the Holy Spirit ought to have in and through our lives. So what I want you to do as we look at it more deeply is I want you to take a few moments to really pay attention. To really pay attention because when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about more than theological platitudes. No, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a real, living, breathing force that's supposed to be living in us and with us and through us as followers of Jesus in this world. In other words, this passage of Scripture ought to prompt you toward a different kind of knowing. One kind of knowing involves receiving data and facts and learning new things and getting new information and assimilating that information and integrating it into our lives. But then there's another kind of knowing, the kind of knowing that Jesus is talking about here, an experiential knowing, a relational knowing. This is the kind of knowing we ought to be pursuing when we're pursuing the Holy Spirit. And I think probably the best signpost Jesus gives us for this is in the name he uses to refer to the Spirit. The word is probably best translated paraclete. It's from the the Greek verb parakaleo, uh, which can mean a number of different things. It can mean to encourage, it can mean to comfort, it can mean to console, it can mean to call upon for help, it can mean to appeal or to advocate. So the noun form then means the one who exhorts, the one who comforts, The one who helps, the one who advocates, the one who makes an appeal on another's behalf. And actually, John seems to draw upon all of these meanings in this passage in his gospel. And that's why, if you're holding an NIV translation of the Bible, it probably uses the word comforter. And if you're holding an NRSV translation of the Bible, it probably uses the word advocate. And different translations use different things, but the word paraclete is the only one that simultaneously holds all of these meanings and roles and activities together. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to when he refers to the Holy Spirit in this passage. Not so much just a name, who the Spirit is, but what the paraclete does. It's not so much a name as it is a descriptor. And the main reason I know that is because another word that Jesus uses in John 14. Verse 16, you may have noticed the word is another. 
Did you see it? I didn't notice it for a long time in reading this passage. I will ask the Father and He will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. And here's my point. If Jesus is sending another paraclete to them and us, then who was the first paraclete? The answer is found in the way that Jesus describes the paraclete and the way the world reacts to it. The other paraclete, the another paraclete is the Holy Spirit, and the first paraclete is Jesus. While he was with them, Jesus was their teacher, their helper, their comforter, their advocate, their guide. While Jesus was with them, he walked alongside them, which is another way to describe the Holy Spirit. But after Jesus leaves, his plan is to release his spirit into the world and into them so that not just them, but every person who claims Christ as Lord and Savior might also receive his spirit of instruction and guidance and comfort and consolation and advocacy. So, here, here's part of the point. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to have a unique, living, and active relationship with the paraclete that Jesus has sent to you. And I think this is different, by the way, than what Paul talks about in Acts 17 when he says that God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Now, God is that. God is an ever-present source of strength and, and life and breath for everything in all of creation. God is the source that is always and everywhere, and Christ, as Christians, we believe that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about specifically here. Instead, Jesus is talking about a specific personified helper, comforter, teacher, and advocate that is not exactly the same as God's ever-present force in the world that pervades all of creation. Now Jesus is talking about a unique and special gift of relationship that he's going to give us after his death and resurrection that he plans to give in and through all who believe. And it's a gift he's giving with purpose. A gift he's giving to be available to you and for you. And a gift that he wants to give through you. And here's the final point with that in mind that I want to make about the paraclete today. I think that Jesus is implying the, the presence of more than two paracletes in the world in this passage. The first is the flesh and blood Jesus of Nazareth. The second is the living spirit that Jesus has sent to live among us and within us and through us. And the third is you. Each of you and all of you. The overarching purpose of the paraclete that Jesus sent is to make us one with Jesus so that we can be a paraclete for him in this world. And so, what I want you to ask yourself today is, is the world experiencing the unimaginable power of Jesus through your life? Are you, under the scope of honest examination, a paraclete? Are you a source of comfort and compassion and encouragement to others? Are you someone who actively helps others learn to live like Jesus? 
Are you someone who finds yourself walking alongside others so that they can learn how to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus? Are you an advocate for the gospel? Are you an advocate for those who are in need of the gospel? Do you find yourself advocating for others in the face of injustice and oppression and poverty? Are you living a life that is shaped by the Spirit of Jesus Christ? If you're not, I wonder, as we continue to worship, if you might invite the living Spirit of Jesus to come into your life and to teach you what it means to be a part of Christ's presence and work in this world. And if you are, in the space of this silence before we sing our hymn of response, I wonder if you might take some time to ask Jesus what it is that He wants for you and from you next. We pray together.